0: We we welcome everybody here. It's a it's a lovely thing to get up here and to see more faces than I was expecting. So, so so good to have you come and be an encouragement to us here at the Garrett Street Church of Christ. Today's lesson is a final installment dealing with the topic of baptism. It, it amazes me, again, and I kind of made introductory remarks even in the, in the announcements, it amazes me that this topic that is so simple and should unite all Christians, I look at this simple topic and I read commentaries and other things, just books written about the topic, and there is... It's unbelievable how you can take a simple topic and make it so complex. So the last two weeks I've been looking at the Bible knowledge commentary. uh, And uh, uh, in particular as it relates to Acts 22.16. So I dealt with that quite a bit and at length, probably ad nauseum as we would say, And we understand the word nauseam a little bit better based upon that, dealing with it so in depth, right? We're ready to move on. But here is the final installment, and there were a couple of different uh, thoughts that were coming from different commentaries and such that I really felt like I could deal with, or I could do this one, that one, or the other one. Uh, And I finally settled with, um, a lot of the thoughts are kind of directed from... Uh, a, a man who is by the, by the name of Warren Wearsby, he was the minister, the pastor at the big Calvary um, Baptist Church out in Latonia. He was in this area for years and years before moving on to uh, work with, I believe, churches up towards Chicago. I don't think I'm wrong in that, but don't quote me on that one. But one of the interesting things about him, he really has a complex view of um, addressing baptism and salvation in general. And he thinks, he makes the case that the way that people were saved in Acts chapter 2, the church, when the church began, it was the beginning of the church. But he says that Christians today are not saved in the same way. And he goes and points to another passage. So he says that salvation started in Acts chapter 2 in one way. And then when you get to Acts chapter 10, the scripture reading that was read, you see salvation in a different way. And so then once he starts with this view of baptism, I think there's his understanding of what the kingdom is. He doesn't equate the kingdom with the church He goes into uh, saying that the kingdom was offered to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. This is how he explains the change, is that somehow in Acts chapter 2, the kingdom was being offered for a third time to the Jews, and they rejected it. And so then the kingdom, instead of the kingdom coming by accepting Jesus, then there is going to be an offer made to the Gentiles to receive the church. And he makes this distinction between the kingdom and the church. Now this is weird language, and you're probably, well, what is it? And it's very complex. He goes into a lot of detail with it. But it's interesting just to simply note this. And I you know we could you could go into his uh, his teachings and kind of start picking it apart one piece at a time. But the point is a very simple doctrine becomes very complex. And I ask you just to consider what does the Bible say? What does it explain? What is the simple understanding pertaining to this doctrine on baptism? So the outline that is in the bulletin here, if you want to follow along with it, uh, you don't have to take notes this time. Uh, The notes are provided. You can jot down some additional things if you'd like. But everything's pretty well there, and it's and it's mostly addressing addressing some of the misconceptions that were presented by uh, Warren Wiersbe and his commentaries. So we go to we're going to begin with Acts chapter two, and we're going to read uh, verse uh, verse thirty six all the way to uh, 30, uh, 39. And this is a very familiar passage, and just hear the passage, and then we're going to talk about it. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And here are the important words when they ask, what should we do? We got a problem, we're lost, we killed Jesus, our sins are separating us from God. Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I simply make this, in, in the, dealing with the outline, I just make this a little bit shorter, but I'm basically quoting Acts chapter 2, verse number 38. Those who believe, repent, and are baptized in the name of Jesus to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, I, and, and forgiveness of sins is in there too. We're dialing in, we're focusing on this idea of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not leaving that out except to make the point of the lesson that really combats uh, what uh, Mr. Wearsby points to. So notice, if you want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to be immersed into Jesus. If you want to, there is a a proper way and a proper order of doing things. You've got to hear that word and believe it. That's called faith, hear and believe. Now repent of that old way of thinking, get the new way of thinking, be immersed into Jesus so that you can be raised up to a new life. That new life is going to include the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given as a gift in baptism or in immersion. So now this truth, this this lesson was going to to the Jews that day. There were No Gentiles unless they had been converted to Judaism. There probably were some of those, some proselytes. So the truth that was spoken of here by Peter was for the Gentiles also. Now this is the weird thing because Warren Wearsby, he would disagree with me right now. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. He would say Peter was speaking and he was speaking only to the Jews. Well, he was speaking to Jews, wasn't he? But he spoke truth that even he didn't understand. Look at Acts chapter two, verse number seventeen. So we back up a little bit to verse number seventeen. Peter is saying this is all happening because of what was prophesied. And here's the prophecy. Acts two, seventeen, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. I'll give my spirit to all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall be dream dream dreams. So now this is an interesting I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Pour forth my spirit. Well, in context here they were speaking in tongues, right? The apostles have been speaking in tongues and here is a reference that all that the, that the spirit is going to be poured out. Okay? So there is a pouring out of the spirit and they were speaking in tongues. Now notice down in verse number 21, it says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Now Peter didn't understand that when he was saying everyone, that that also included Gentiles. Because he later, we see that this is true, because Peter's slow to learn this. The words that he spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit He didn't understand yet. He spoke the words, but he didn't understand the words. He thought only the Jews could be saved. We're going to see this point in a second, but note this. The truth that he spoke was for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The the mystery of the, the Old Testament is that it was revealing a gospel that would go forth to everyone. Not just the Jews, but to all nations. Genesis chapter 12, verse verse number 3. I will bless you. God speaking to Abraham, I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing. And through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. So, everyone is going to be able to be saved. As Peter spoke these words, notice in Acts chapter 2, verse number 39, it says, The promise is for you and your children as And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. We hear those words and we're like, hey, we're the ones who are far off. I like this. We were very far off. We're separated by distance, by time. We weren't there. We weren't even alive then. And now we can receive this wonderful gift of of forgiveness of our sins. And receive the Holy Spirit if only we'd believe, repent, be baptized into Jesus. We love that. Peter didn't get that though. Peter thought it was only for the Jews. So let's consider that a little bit more. God used special means then to make Peter understand that Gentiles also could be could also believe Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness, for forgiveness, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I'm contending that as you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, that promise was for the Gentiles also, Jews and Gentiles, it didn't matter, any who would call upon the name of the Lord. But Peter didn't get it. Peter needed some grace, some time to figure things out, and then he needed God to come along and kind of give him a little kick to say, This is the way. So let's look at Acts chapter 10. We get to this passage where our Bible scripture, our Bible reading was read this morning. Acts chapter 10, and it begins with the focus being on. Cornelius who is somebody who knows he needs Jesus but then it's also the one of the main themes is Peter being able to understand a new truth a new truth in his mind not a new truth that had already been true but he needed a new understanding so Peter has this vision you can read about as he was up on the roof the all the animals being let down and and God says get up kill and he's like I can't Eat unclean animals. No, I can't do it. God says, I got something new for you to think about. Uh, He says, and in verse number 15, the voice from God says, And a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed. No longer consider unholy. So Peter needs to change the way he is thinking about the Gentiles. Don't call them unholy, unworthy. They can receive the gospel also. So Peter goes and preaches to this Gentile, what he would have thought of as a heathen, you know, some uncircumcised foreigner. He goes to Cornelius' house. He preaches the Word of God to him. And then we get to verse 44. It says this. While Peter was still speaking, speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, so in other words, all the Jews, Jewish Christians, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. The scene they were seeing was the scene just like the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit poured out on the apostles and they began to speak in tongues. And now we see the Spirit poured out on some Gentiles and they began speaking in tongues. And Peter answered, verse 47, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Now the question comes, and I think this is fine if anybody wants to read Warren Wearsby's commentaries and look and consider. I think it's fine to go ahead and ask yourself, did God introduce a new way to be saved? Is God changing what He had established at Pentecost? And now Pentecost was for the Jews to believe. But now, when it comes to the Gentiles, the Gentiles, all they have to do is believe. And when they have faith, then the Holy Spirit comes into them and they are saved. And then they can get baptized too. You have to ask is that a possibility? I don't think there's anything wrong with asking. But I think if uh, it doesn't take too much looking to understand, here's a special occasion. Here is Peter is the one who needed to change the way he was thinking. The emphasis of the Holy Spirit coming on the Gentiles is not to prove that they were already saved because they had believed, but to prove to Peter that they can be saved without becoming a Jew, without being circumcised, without going through all the Jewish things, Gentiles can believe and be saved. Gentiles can trust in Jesus and they can be immersed in the name of Jesus if they are repenting of their old way of life and coming to Christ. Be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, moving on to the next point then. I would contend that Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit coming upon the Gentiles, you don't read of that anywhere else. This was a special event for Peter's benefit not to establish some new way of becoming a Christian. There is nothing in there that says, here's a new way to become a Christian. This was done for Peter one time, much like one time back at the beginning when the Holy Spirit came upon him, they started preaching and preaching the gospel, a one-time event like that. So next point, last point pertaining to this particular passage, the Holy Spirit received in baptism is then to be assumed is assumed to be present in all Christians. So thinking about Acts chapter 2 verse 38, thinking about as you read through the book of Acts and you see all of the conversions, and then you continue reading into uh, all of the letters penned by all the writers of the New Testament, there is an assumption that when somebody becomes a Christian through baptism, then they receive this Holy Spirit presence in their life. A couple verses just to consider. Uh, First of all, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13, it says this In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So, the good news of how to be saved. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Now, I would simply contend this, that the believers in Acts chapter 2, when they believed and were immersed into Christ Jesus, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as it says. The Holy Spirit in their life, And it's a seal that's given to them as kind of a pledge and promise that God's got. He's given you a piece of him. And so that shows he someday is going to come take you home. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit within you. I would contend that Cornelius, he had this amazing, miraculous thing. One, The Holy Spirit came upon him to prove something to Peter. They can be saved. And then when he was immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, he and his whole household, then they were saved, receiving all of them the gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The Holy Spirit is present in each one of us. This is true for anybody here who by faith was immersed into Christ Jesus. Consider um, uh 6.19 is in 1 Corinthians. I apologize. So I think it's, I've missed that in your notes as well as on the outline here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? The Holy Spirit is present in you. When did you get that Spirit? When you were immersed into Christ. It fits with all of Scripture. The one time that kind of makes that a little weird, you've got to figure out, is that event in Acts chapter 10. Hey, they got the Holy Spirit poured out on them before they were even baptized. Yep, one-time event. It happened one time. To prove something not to them, but to prove something to Peter. So, You repent, you believe, you're immersed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. A presence there of God in your life. Now, I've mentioned something about the kingdom. The kingdom uh, for Warren Wiersbe becomes part of the, um, the way that it becomes a muddied up, kind of a complex issue. And he starts talking about the kingdom, but he also starts talking about the Holy Spirit. And he misunderstands some, some things about the Holy Spirit. So let me make a second point here for you to consider. And it's a point that is to, that is, we're going to make to make sure that you understand that what we have on the first point is true and consistent throughout all of the New Testament. So a second point is that the gift of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is distinct from... The miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. This does make the issue and the discussion, you got to be careful how we talk. And I, I don't want to make this complex, but I want to keep it simple. right? And the simplest understanding of what Scripture says on a topic is what you should go with. And so I would contend that in even though the topic of the Spirit and of baptism is simple, there is some thought that has to occur. So consider this. After Pentecost, only the apostles were performing miracles. Now before I read the verse, well, I want, first of all I want to ask you how many were baptized on the day of Pentecost? Three thousand, right? A bunch of people were baptized. A bunch of people received the gift of the Holy Spirit that day. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives that day. How many people were then continuing to do these miraculous works? Twelve. Go to Acts chapter 2 verse 43. Acts chapter 2 verse number 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Miracles were happening after, after the day of Pentecost, miracles continue to happen through the, um, through the apostles. Acts chapter 3, you can read about these miracles. They were happening. They continued to happen. But it was only through the apostles. Alright, continue with me here. The first ones we read about getting some miraculous gifts. Some others besides the 12 working miracles are connected with the name Stephen and Philip. Stephen and Philip did miracles only after the apostles laid their hands on them. Acts chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. And this is their being set apart for a particular ministry. Verse number 5. It says the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Those are the first names. Then you had Prychorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they, these were brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now, in verse number 5, when it mentions Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, does that mean he was able to perform miracles? I don't know what anybody else would say, but I would say no. I think he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit, just like I know people full of the Holy Spirit present today in our, in our congregation. Um, but now look at verse number 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. Now there's a new description of him. Grace and power was performing great wonders and signs among the people. The idea of him performing miracles was after the laying on of the apostles' hands. I don't think they laid their hands on him saying, oh, we want you to perform miracles. It was a byproduct. Just kind of happened, but it did happen. Then you turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, um, and it's a record of, of Philip going forth to Samaria. Verse 6 says, The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Philip's doing miracles. He's casting out demons. He was doing all sorts of things. And the people believed. That only happened after the laying on of the apostles' hands. Miraculous gifts of the Spirit are not passed on through baptism. So here's a distinction. The miraculous gifts of the Spirit versus receiving the Spirit in your life. Miraculous gifts of the Spirit are not passed on through baptism in the name of Jesus, but through the laying on of the apostles' hands. On the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were added to the number of the saved... They didn't all start performing miracles. They didn't all start speaking in tongues and prophesying. That didn't happen. The apostles continued to do that. And then it began to spread to others when the apostles laid their hands on others. The miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit is a distinct issue. It's a separate issue or a topic compared to just receiving the Holy Spirit in your life. Look at this last um, uh, and by the way, I want to point that out in, in Acts uh, chapter 8, verses 12 through 19. Acts chapter 8, verses 12 through 19. It says, but when they believed, and this is still in Samaria. When they believed Philip preaching the good news and the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, through Philip by the way, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, two apostles, Peter and John, who came, verse 15 of Acts chapter 8, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So now, close language to Acts chapter 2. Forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now here is language of receiving the Holy Spirit. Very closely related. Exactly the same, to be honest. You have to let the context dictate and teach you and let you understand what's going on here. This is a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. These people had been immersed into Christ. Now there was an additional gift they could receive they could they could receive the gift of the holy spirit in their lives much like we do today but they had the opportunity for the apostles to come and lay their hands on them to receive miraculous workings of the holy spirit verse 16 for he had not yet fallen on any of them they had simply been baptized in the name of the lord jesus christ then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the holy spirit Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them up money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. That miraculous working Holy Spirit was bestowed upon people through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So it's logical If this is true, if what I'm asking you to to understand from the Scripture, this distinction with receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life versus receiving a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of the apostles' hands, if those are two distinct things, then it's logical that when the apostles died, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit would also die. And you can read in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8-10, through that Paul said, These miraculous things are going to cease. He didn't say, hey, when I die and when all the other apostles are gone, hey, you guys are out of luck. He's just saying, these things are going to cease. And when they cease, you're going to have to rely upon the greater things. And right now you need to grow up and live according to faith, hope, and love. Those are the greatest gifts, and we still have those great gifts through the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us, not to work miracles, but to love and to have faith and to be filled with joy and all of the other wonderful gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present in us. But those miraculous workings died when the apostles passed on. They had had passed on miraculous gifts to others. They weren't able to add it to anybody else. Once all those folks that they had laid their hands on were gone, the gifts, miraculous gifts, were gone. And that's a fairly simple, if I can get it done in 30 minutes and explain this, it's, it's not that hard, not that complex. We don't have to go into explaining, hey, that it seems like there's two different ways to be saved. We do have to understand some differences about the language pertaining to the Holy Spirit. It's, um, it's silly to throw in the concept of the kingdom and to pretend like the kingdom didn't come. You know, when, when Christ started the church to say that that wasn't people entering into the kingdom... Otherwise, when we read Romans, or excuse me, Revelation 5 and it's talking about the kingdom of priests this morning, I'm like, that's us. We're there. We're in the kingdom of priests. We are in a kingdom. You don't have to say that there's a kingdom to come later or that, hey, it didn't work out for Jesus, so He's going to plan B and going to come back to the earth later and build a kingdom. No, it's going on right now. We're a part of the kingdom. Let us live like it. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God there is a way to enter into the kingdom you can enter into Christ by repenting of your sins repenting of the old way of thinking grabbing hold of Jesus having faith in him confess his name before others and say I need him and I want him in my life that is what we do when we hear the message of Christ the one who died for us let us live for Him. So if there's anybody here today you want to be a part of the kingdom, a part of, to be saved, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can be immersed into Christ Jesus. And when you're immersed, God does a great work on you. You aren't doing anything. You don't earn salvation by any means. But when you come to Jesus and you give Him your life, By being immersed into Him, God does this wonderful work and He forgives you of your sins and He comes and is present within you. His Holy Spirit, that's why you can be raised up to this new life. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you need to come to Him, won't you please do so today as we stand together and sing.